Hey everyone, it's Bryn. Just a quick heads up in case you're sensitive to these subjects. We talk about eating disorders and substance addiction in this episode. At no time do we mean any disrespect to Amy Winehouse or her legacy. We were all just really moved by her and her struggles. Stand by, the episode is coming right up. From the top of the charts to the dusty $1 bin and everything in between, it's time for another review on Life to Labyrinth. Welcome back to another episode of Life to Labyrinth podcast featuring the fabled return of our co-anchor Stephen. What up? I sent a nice vacation to Desert Island. It's been a lovely time. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> and Angie's back, and she's told us she wants to come back permanently. So, new f- permanent co-host, Angie. We haven't told anyone our last names yet, so you're just Angie unless you want to. <laughs> okay, got Yay. it. Secret. All right, yes, even though I've added you on Twitter, which has your name on it. And our Spotify playlists are from our like, personal named accounts. <laughs> it's true. I don't think I have my last name on anything on social media. Okay, that's true. You always go by Angie Grace. That's right. That's right. That's right. There's no it's sneaky no, thing. <laughs> no fam, no family name. So <laughs> sneaky. So this week, we are, I guess, more or less closing the book on our first artist ever t- that we've will have listened to both of their official released albums. Amy Winehouse. We're listening to Back to Black, and we've all now watched the documentary, so we can kind of speak about that a little bit too. And uh, Angie, I know you you sent us a picture of you having rented the documentary. Did you get a chance to actually uh, spin that DVD? I rented it and I put it in a DVD player and watched it. Yes, I did. And there are special features. I was going to ask, are there any good special features? Because that, that is one thing you miss on streaming, is you never get the special features. Yeah, so there were special features. They were okay. They were short. There wasn't a lot of them, but my favorite one was when... Massive Attack asked her to sing with them and her manager was super excited and then she came out of it and she's like, I hate it. It's fucking whale music. (laughs) And I thought, it is whale music. It is. (laughs) (laughs) So she didn't like Massive Attack. She said it was whale music. I just thought it was the funniest thing because it legitimately is whale music. I mean, I love Massive Attack, but I thought that was possibly the funniest way anyone could describe them. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty excellent. Do you happen to know what, like, did, was the song ever released? Did you look it up? I don't... I didn't look it up. It didn't really sound like it went anywhere because she was not interested in it. Okay. But, uh, yeah, I'll search that. Excerpt from a documentary from 2015. There's a Twitter post about it from 2015. Unreleased music back in 2001. No. Mm. As of fi- as of 2015, it wasn't released. And I suspect it wouldn't have been released now. Yeah, it didn't even sound like it went anywhere or com- even completed it. I don't know. I don't know. It just seemed very brief in the, uh, in the features. Yeah, so Angie, you and I have listened to this album a bazillion times. Steven, is this your first time listening to Back to Black? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I was going to say the whole album, but then after listening to it, I realized I knew one song. So <laughs> Rehab? Yeah. yeah. I couldn't have told you Rehab was an Amy Winehouse song, or that was the name of it, but I definitely know it. Oh, wild. Yeah, I remember hearing the song on the radio, but I never cared enough to learn anything about it. Interesting. Oh, yeah. I remember hearing it and thinking 
that's the coolest comeback sound in the world. I haven't heard anything like that. I need to hear more of that. <laughs> I don't agree. It's, it's a very cool, like, unique sound. But, yeah, it just wasn't my jam until, say, the last six months. <laughs> <laughs> I seem to recall hearing it kind of really randomly. Like, I think it was from watching, like, MTV and stuff at the time. It would constantly be used in stingers. Mm. I don't remember if I watched the video or listened to the album back then. I think maybe. Like, I think I, I, I maybe listened to that song and Back to Black and You Know I'm No Good. I think that's really all I knew from a time when she was sort of still active. Yeah, it's hard to say. I, well, I mean, I also have no sense of time and no memory, but I, I'm i not sure when I got into it, but I definitely recall listening to the whole album, which is not like me, because I'll do, like, the best songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just call it. I started with her kind of the same, I think, as I have with a lot of artists, where I started to just watch her do live shows. I started watching a lot of YouTube stuff, and usually if I like live stuff enough i'll go back and listen to it comparative to the album which was kind of what it was like for me to listen to this this past week as it's been so long since i've actually listened to any of the album versions of this song so i know you and i spoke briefly angie about being kind of sick of rehab at the end of uh, our last episode but then listening to the album version for the first time in a while i actually kind of reinvigorated an enjoyment of the song that i don't get when i listen to her sing it live yeah, I had actually listened to this recently, but I still feel like I've heard this album enough times that it's a little bit hard for me to go back and listen to it beginning to end because I do, for some reason, know it so well. Mm -hmm. What was it like for you, Steven, kind of going through it the first time? <laughs> just, I guess I might as well just come right out. Not really for me. I loved that it was still, the jazz and the blues influence is still really prevalent. You can't get away from that. That's just, that's good foundation. Makes for a good album. It's just who she is, yeah. Yeah, right. That's just the core of what her her sound is. There was some, there's a couple tracks that I enjoyed, but the album on the whole was just meh. <laughs> it's like, I did the five, six listens for today, and I'm just... I'm pretty over this album now. <laughs> so would you say that you liked Frank better? Yeah, I liked Frank a lot better. It just a direct comparison between the two. That more mm -hmm. like piano lounge feel. And I mean, this album's still very personal, but Frank feels more intimate to me. And I found Frank sold her music to me better than Back to Black does. Yeah, I would agree. I think as a listening experience, I prefer Frank, which I think I said in the Frank episode. I definitely like listening to Frank as an album a lot more than I like listening to Back to Black. But I really like the Back to Black stuff live, and I don't particularly care for the Frank stuff live. Fair. I'm surprised you liked Frank more because it was, it was slower, it was quieter. I found where this was a little bit more poppy and upbeat. This definitely has a much poppier feel to it. You can tell it was this. The difference in years they were released is pretty pre, like pretty obvious. But yeah, I'm not I'm not usually big on slower music, but I thought given the combination of how intimate and personal Frank was and how intimate it felt, it really only worked for me because it was that very laid back, like slower, casual loungy feel whereas i just i don't know maybe it's just because i liked frank so much more than i expected i was kind of disappointed that this had more of a pop feel to it yeah this is the result you know as you probably saw in the documentary but for those of you who are listening and haven't watched the documentary this album came out of a time when she had been spending a lot of time in bars listening to guitar groups and some like old r&b girl groups and stuff and lamenting the loss of her then boyfriend blake fielder civil who turned out to 
down the road become her boyfriend again and then married her after she became famous. What a dick. The jury's still out on whether or not that was the only reason he came back into her life, but it's certainly framed that way. I think that's how history remembers it, regardless of whether or not they had rekindled anything before she started to find success again. But I watched an interview of his that he did a few within like the last year and a half or something like that. And holy man, that that is a man who has not released himself of his demons. When you look at him now, he just looks like an old junkie. He's missing teeth and he looks terrible. He even looks terrible back then. He looks like a young junkie. I mean, yeah, but he just yeah. always looked rough he, and it was, yeah, I don't know. That was, that was hard to watch that, that whole thing. Yeah. The stuff in 2008, right before he goes to jail in that. Yeah. And really getting bad. Such an obvious bad influence. And like you said, the timing of it, you know, he breaks her heart and then she starts getting famous and he's back. Just, it just lines up to make him seem so shitty. Yeah, yeah. If you do a Google image search for Blake Fielder Civil, you'll see some more updated photos of him because he did a couple of interviews, and uh, it's just time has not been kind to this man. <laughs> but yeah, he did look pretty rough even at the time. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't speak to where their attraction came from in each other. I think they were probably just both broken people that met each other at the wrong time of their lives. But yeah. it's also, it's also very easy to find yourself codependent on somebody, and I certainly can relate to that. Fair enough. Oh yeah, he looks rough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Apparently he's married with kids and stuff now, so I don't know. I can't speak to his life. I think he seems to only enter the news in a negative way. You know, he, he comes up like always going after the, the estate, looking for money, and then the, her family's afraid that he's going to like release intimate stuff that he has of hers. Oh, God. Even to this day, it just seems like he's not. he still hasn't left her or her family alone, per se, and her family's still worried about how he can tarnish her image and her reputation and her legacy. Because, you know, who, who knows what kind of, like, nudes or sex tapes or what he's got on video of her or photos of her doing and stuff like that. Her at her absolute worst. That's of addiction. So, so who knows? But it's—he's not somebody that I want. I think we should spend too much time on. But I think it's important to mention him since most of this album is written about him and their relationship. My note from the Amy documentary was that fucking Blake guy, <laughs> <laughs> and then I just left it. <laughs> Moving yeah. on. Yeah, I don't know if there's much more that should be said about him, but I want to make sure that Stephen, you get enough time to jump in and let us know your thoughts because angie and i have obviously listened to this album and this artist so much and and you're the one that's really got the story for this episode so like what you didn't really care much for the album you liked frank better that's cool i kind of wondered if that would be the case but what did you think about the documentary and stuff like how did you did you connect with her as an artist at all more by watching the documentary yeah i mean i'm a sucker for a good documentary honestly i love history and i love well shot movies in the be- like first place and documentaries are always such an incredible there's such an incredible canvas for experimentation and unique perspectives and it's a really really good documentary it really humanizes her especially to somebody who knew nothing about her going into this like that first album before mm-hmm. we listened to frank i other than the couple i had heard on the radio had never listened to amy winehouse had never followed her life or her career in any way okay so for sure the documentary did a lot to, to humanize her end of the day you got to kind of take everything with a little bit of grain of salt because at the end of the day it didn't come from her it's how they framed her but i think we got to mm-hmm. see a, enough of her to understand where her music came from kind of understand the influences that led to her unique kind of blend of 
jazz and blues and eventually pop in a really fun, unique way. Say so as for as an artist, I understand her talent. Like I don't deny she's got an incredible, like she's got incredible vocal work. And I think the lyrics she wrote and the sound her group created is really technically impressive and i understand why it's like it stands up to time it just Mm -hmm. it's just i don't know especially in back to black was just kind of missing something that really connected me to it other than a couple times where they were just stand out holy shit these are good fucking songs Mm -hmm. that's why i was so honestly so surprised by frank is because i kind of went into frank expecting to be disappointed and i was really really impressed that i there was very little about frank i didn't like and then conversely i think that hurt me here because Frank went so well, I had pretty decently high expectations going into Back to Black. And I just like, mm-hmm. by the end of rehab, I was already, I went from a 10 to like a six real fast. <laughs> and it just, from there, it would go up a, up and down a little, but I, I just never got back that initial like enthusiastic spark I had. But uh, I don't, okay. yeah, I said, like, don't put that pressure on me. I don't have stuff to say. <laughs> no, it's, it's just interesting because... The, the conversation here, I think, really isn't about how much Angie and I like for Amy Winehouse. I think the conversation is more about, you know, you being sort of forced to introduce yourself to this, to <laughs> this, to both albums, really sort of within the span of a month. And I, we haven't done that where we do, I don't think there's too many other artists that we could really do that with where one of us hasn't heard anything about them. The other likes them quite a lot and there's only a couple of albums so we can kind of cover them really quickly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're right. I think this is really the first one where we knew nothing, like one of us knew nothing. And I, I really, I respect her work and I respect her and the work she did and the place she came from. I just, I'm not a huge fan of her music. <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. But like I said, like, I don't think it's probably part of the original listing. The, the fucking Ghostface remix. Mm. I meant to that look did it nothing up. for me. <laughs> See, I fuck out. I don't... It's so good. It's so <laughs> well, that's cool, though. That's awesome. Yeah, as soon as I saw Ghostface's name, I was like, this is going to be a wild ride. But I was totally <laughs> in. It totally works for me. That's good. I'm, I'm glad you found something to attach yourself to. That's awesome. I think the thing that's sort of, for me, amazing about this album and her career is how long she rode the coattails of this album. Like, this album yeah. was released in 2006, and... Her last concert that she does is in 2011 with no fresh material. Oh, wow. She's still performing largely the same set list in 2011 that she was performing in 2007 and the end of 2006 when she started touring behind this album with largely the same band. It was just like, you know, she was just so lost, I guess, personally, that she became almost completely unproductive musically, but she was still a big star. So they were still booking her for concerts, but she didn't have anything new to give. It's just, it's so sort of weird how it must have been bizarre to go see her in like 2007, 2008 and see her in 2010, 11 with exactly the same set. Yeah, I think I'd be pretty pissed. (laughs) Yeah, but not that. Yeah, that would be bizarre. You know, she just, this is all these years later, there's no new music. It's the same set. It's the same band. It's like, well, what year is this? I mean, the Ramones always look the same, but they had at least new music to play. Was it the exact same set list every time up until her final shows? Like she was offering nothing new? She had a few things, like a few covers that she kind of bounced around between. Right. But 
any of the concerts that I've watched usually follows a very standard formula where she comes out and plays Addicted, and then she plays Just Friends, and then she'll play like one of her covers or something, or she'll play Cherry from Frank, and then she does Back to Black, and then she, you know, it's just, you know. Okay. So there was a few that she kind of bounced around, you know, she'd do Valerie, which is a cover, she'd do Monkey Man, which is a cover, she had one called Cupid, that was it, it was called Cupid, I didn't even have to look it up, it came to me. So she had a few things. But, um, you know, in the, like in the documentary, they show her recording with Tony Bennett. I was pretty close to the end of her life. I think she had a few like little things that they managed to scrape out of like the vault after she passed. But she certainly didn't have enough material for a whole nother album or they'd have released one. All they've done is release like Back to Black B-sides. And then when the movie came out, they released a soundtrack, which has like a few like stripped down things and a lot of live performances. Like there's not a whole lot there. She just was so embroiled in her personal life that she basically became unproductive in the recording right. studio and writing music, it seems. Yeah. And how can you be creative and write music when you're just totally fucked up and yeah. locked? And yeah, that was really hard to watch the Tony Bennett. Yeah. What? I, the documentary really kind of, I don't know, it reminded me that she seemed really, mm, like, childlike as an adult. You know, she was a brilliant musically and, you know, was revamping, bringing back this whole old sound that was unique and crazy and no one had ever done it. But then in some of the interviews, it she seemed so immature or, or very childlike. And I, I can see how that personality would have just totally struggled with fame yeah. like she just you know you know hitting her head in front of tony bennett and be like Scott, have you right you know like like how unprofessional or how like i can't imagine myself ever doing that if i was falling apart in a in any scenario to be so like out loud and and just obviously not holding my shit together you know what i mean yeah that totally yeah i think that's i don't know I have this thing with Amy Winehouse for a reason. She always, I always think she's older in my head. Like every time Bryn mentions that she's in the 27 Club, it blows my mind. And I think it's just, it's a consequence of how meteoric her kind of rise to true popularity and then her fall was. And I, I think she got, like she was already auditioning and trying to go on tour at like 16, wasn't she? Like she was already putting herself in the kind of, rampant drug fueled lifestyle as a say late teen that's a that's a wild ride like i can't imagine myself at 18 handling that for even a year or two let alone or at least being super committed to something like this is what i want to do i'm this is my path you know at 18 can you imagine what we'd all be doing god no i was not fucking i was caving out across the world to forge my career i was way too busy yeah worrying about i was gonna get high next or buy my next snack yeah (laughs) yeah 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 i think at 18 i was just finishing high school and hanging out with this girl named angie every once in a while <laughs> I moved to England when I was 18, so it must have been for the first half of that year. The <laughs> first half, I suppose. Super funny. There were that parts in the documentary though that just those little tidbits where they dropped, you know, like her dad wasn't around, which, you know, missing a dad is brutal. And then the thing that kicked me in the face was when she obviously tells her mom she's bulimic. Oh, mom, I do this thing where I I have this great diet where I eat and throw it all up and her mom's like no isn't that nice honey like how does that happen how does that slide under the radar as a parent that you just heard a very dangerous eating disorder 
come out of your kid's mouth? Well, that's that unfortunately I think is a lot of lot to do with their age and England because I couldn't confidently count the amount of people I knew who had like just growing up right in Europe who had mental health disorders or eating disorders and had told their parents and essentially their parents had just been like, well, sort it the fuck out and don't tell anyone. Mm. And I think the f- kind of England, obviously, right, has always sh- had a big issue with class structure and just inherent racism. And a big part of that is right. Yeah. A big part of that is still the idea of the like posh Brit we all have in our heads as North Americans that's snooty better than thou you know nothing's ever wrong with me or my family and the world will never know they always have to think I'm the best there is stoic onward and upward yeah it's 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 a like a caricature over here but it's so true like I know a dozen say 40 plus year old Britons who are exactly like that in real life so it's tragic but it actually unfortunately wasn't super surprising to me especially being recorded that her mom was just like it felt very customer service to me almost just like your default oh well that's lovely like yeah <laughs> that's nice too. yeah <laughs> go outside and play like yeah but yeah it's heartbreaking and unfathomable from like a personal perspective absolutely <laughs> it's like i was watching the documentary being like oh my gosh maybe this time you know she'll clean up and someone will listen to her and and she's gonna make it. <laughs> it's like watching, like watching Titanic. Titanic. Kind of, you think they just might make it They're around the ice. They're just gonna miss it this time. You're just, you're just and gonna share. You're like leaning. You're like trying to lean. <laughs> Alternate ending. Here we go. Yeah, it's like maybe this time her father will say she should go to rehab. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny that song I used to love just because it's so upbeat, and I love dancing and whatever to that kind of music it's so hard to listen to now because it's upbeat and then you're listening to the words and oh sit back down she should have gone to rehab and done it properly you know it's hard to jam out to someone talking about their problems that killed them yeah 100 percent. this was the first time too i went back and watched all of the music videos that were released with this album which is something that i kept meaning to do with other albums and never bothered to and this time i actually did and there aren't that many, but they all have like reference. Like there's alcohol in all of them, and yeah. even, and even some of like, you know, there's an empty alcohol bottle on a bed, or it's she's drinking in the video, or it's in the background, or she's at a bar or something like that. And then there's been a few music videos released subsequent, I think, to her passing to try and sort of keep popularity and keep the album in rotation, kind of on MTV and stuff a little bit, and. It's still just like her live and her sort of, you know, drinking on stage and stuff. It's so weird. And then I watched this interview with her that she did. I think it was on some Americans channel. And they like asked her about drinking or something like that. And she was like, well, why would you bring that up? But it seemed like in a lot of other interviews I watched, she was very happy to bring it up. Yeah, she brings it up herself in her lyrics and obviously in the videos and and whatever. But yeah, it seems definitely like a prevalent issue or subject in her life i don't know why people maybe wouldn't bring it up yeah it just it, it seemed to be the day that that was recorded though maybe the uh the interview wasn't particularly good so maybe she was a little annoyed with them anyway and then they were you know they were saying like you know well, what about this with regards to drinking and she's like what, what does drinking have to do with anything like why are you asking? right yeah so 
I think she was sort of maybe a bit of a hot and cold person, which they get into in the documentary as well, where she could be like sweet as pie, but you kind of like rub her the wrong way and she's just, you know, kind of... Yeah, she would just make a stupid face and kind of wind it down, like wind the interview down. What's yeah. the interview where someone like starts talking about Dido and she's like, okay, yeah. I'm not, like I'm no longer paying attention to this. Yeah, yeah she's like, uh, okay, bye. It must have been difficult for her back in at that time because Frank was sort of popular and the Back to Black became huge, but there really wasn't any sort of contemporaries for her musically. There were just contemporaries for her in terms of being young women that had really yeah. popular albums but it's like and then in previous to that she was sort of always held up against the spice girls because she was signed by simon fuller yeah oh my god that's a weird uh, yeah weird connection so i don't know i think i like i like i said i think I, I can't remember if this is a conversation you and i had or it came up in a previous episode but like there's so many sort of people have been like ladies and women that have been influenced by her in the music industry now that oh. are so private as a result of how the media treated her and the one that always comes to mind for me is adele mm -hmm. And she's come right out and said it like I, the reason I don't go out the reason like I don't tour very much the reason I don't do this and do that is because I saw how you all treated Amy Winehouse and I just don't need that in my life and British paparazzi are just the, oh, the worst in the disgusting. world it, like you just have to think about Diana like it's just it just feels in that same vein of you you've lost your life like you can't walk down the street you'll be hounded forever how do you deal with that yeah it, yeah. it really is they're everywhere and especially like places like london there's it's such a tightly packed city uh, like, right all the tourist shots are of like you know wide shots that make the river thames not look disgusting or <laughs> show you a big ferris wheel next to some trees but it's a disgustingly cramped city there's bodies everywhere and the streets are just too small so yeah. you can't there's just no feasible way to get anywhere without doesn't matter how much of a disguise you're wearing somebody's going to recognize you and is even if it's just a passerby the minute they do you've got you know 10 paparazzi right there ready to capitalize yeah. like it's ugh. tabloids in england i just they're hideous. horrific like it's a truly garbage fucking industry like england's the epitome of all the worst it can be Ugh. there was uh there was a thing i watched on youtube it's uh a, it was a television show i'm not sure what year it's from but it was uh called 13 moments that killed amy winehouse and one of the moments they talked about was the paparazzi chasing her and they interviewed this guy who is a paparazzi i guess and he said that he started a paparazzi company off of amy winehouse photos yeah. He was able to start a whole company and hire more people just off her. Yeah. And the problem is, of course, is people will, you know, read the smut magazines and want more. They want to see someone falling apart yeah. and struggling. And it's, I mean, that's the, the core of the issue. Like, why do we want to see people suffering and failing and or why do we need to see celebrities every minute of the day i don't give a shit why does everyone care so much yeah i do you find i i heard recently that kind of like the pandemic has kind of really taken the shine off of celebrity life because we're all struggling so much and they're just sitting up in their multi-million dollar homes just chilling they're just like you know we're all in this together it's like you can go fuck yourself yeah but also the masks i've heard a lot of interviews where celebrities are like these masks are amazing. They're like, I haven't been able to, you know, walk down the street before and now I can. Yeah. Yeah. It's so weird to hear that. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think we, we for sure need to put a lot of work into humanizing the way we portray essentially anyone, but particularly like celebrities. Cause all they do is 
pour their fucking passion into creating entertainment for us and then people just hound them until they have to stop one way or another like ugh. become prisoners of their own success yeah right it's brutal and, and i think she even said that in the documentary she's like i give all of this up if i could just walk down the street and not be bothered mm-hmm. yeah it's brutal but it's you know it's on all of us and i think i think it was madonna that said after princess diana died you know it's like we all played a hand in it if you know you bought a magazine that had her paparazzi photos and it. it's like we all contributed and it's, it's sort of interesting how that lucrative that becomes because I think it was in that podcast you talked to me about where I listened to the, like the five-part Diana series. They talked about how like previous to her getting these really long-range paparazzi photos of her with Dodi El Fayed on a boat on a yacht kissing, like a photo of Diana was worth maybe three hundred pounds, mm-hmm. and then those photos were sold for something like one point two million pounds. And then of course everyone wants a piece, and then it's a it's a race to the bottom kind of thing. Yeah, you know, you know, and and a few weeks after those photos were published, she was dead. Mm-hmm. I listened to another podcast that talks a lot about how women are portrayed in the media and it's it's just the same theme every time, you know, yeah. <laughs> demonized, they start, you know, going downhill, we watch them, we kind of cheer on this sad unwinding and, and we're, we're all kind of there for it and it's it's so gross. Yeah, Steve and I were mentioning, I think, what was it, uh, was it in the Lizzo podcast? We were talking about how it's so interesting that, like, young girls are such a huge marketed to demographic, and yet they're subsequently then shit on for what they like. I think that, it might have been Lizzo, but we for sure had that conversation, yeah. Talked about it, I know that it's something that's come up in, like, my personal life with, with Renee being sort of, like, involved in, like, women's activism and us having daughters and me trying to learn as much as I can about what their life is going to be like. Yeah. Like, did you, did you find that, Angie, where, like, you found that you were, the things that you found were sort of, like, not, like, not necessarily marketed to you because you would have been younger, but it was, like, you were sort of shit on for the things that you liked just because they were girl things? Yeah, I mean, I feel like this is a huge, complicated subject of just, (laughs) like, the roots of gender and socialization and blah, blah, blah. But I I don't really specifically connect with what you're talking about, but I think I understand the roots of what you're getting at. But, I like, I specifically can't think of an example for myself but i i do know what i do know what you're getting at okay but yeah. sort of like princesses are marketed so hard to girls and then girls are shit on for wanting to be princesses right i yeah. mean it's like that with, with anything with women yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right we could have a whole separate podcast get get your nails did and your hair done and it's like oh look at her like yeah oh she's overdone yeah yeah the worst thing, like regardless of your political views, the Hillary documentary on Netflix, I think it's Netflix, it, you just see it, you know? If she's stoic, she's a bitch. If she's kind and whatever, she's soft and can't get it done. And there's no winning. There's nothing she can do right. And it all comes down to like the worst characteristics of mm-hmm. being female. And it's so, I re- I was watching that documentary and at one point I just started crying. I was like, this, how do you, like, yeah. how do you deal you. with that when you're in that situation and you are, have all this intellect and you know exactly what's happening and you have these great ideas and it doesn't matter what you do because you're being hated for it. Yeah, she's, she's sort of an interesting lightning rod, especially in US politics, where it doesn't matter how capable she is they just see her as bill clinton's wife or they see her as you know 
disingenuous. Hillary Clinton seemed to get shit on for being disingenuous a lot. Yeah. Anything she did, yeah. it was wrong. <laughs> and yeah, and, like, and you were right. I just double checked. The documentary is on Netflix. Worth watching. Yeah, for sure. I'm gonna probably watch it tonight. It's on my list. Talk. I haven't gotten to it yet, but it's on my list. <laughs> and I mean, like a big part of it too is the internet and the rise of megalithic corporations. Right, also tie into that. Like it's just this huge ridiculously tight knot of all the worst little fucking parts of people that have just been exasper I can't fucking pronounce the word exasperated by <laughs> you know it's right <laughs> right <laughs> so they're just gonna exasperated that's it that's yeah that's totally it I can picture the word in my head but I always think it's an S and then <laughs> I can't figure it out um, I think you two if we put it I'll just mash them together what you both said i'll just put it over top and it'll just come out of the corner. you just nailed it yeah with my voice what just nailed it in one yeah right like the internet allowing people to mobilize in force anonymously so, yeah. right the ability to create targeted portraits of hatred which although all those shitty little parts of us as people were always there technology especially this huge boom we've had in the last say 10 years has given people brand new ways to weaponize and like amalgamate it all together so it's because everyone's got a pedestal now yeah everyone has a way for other people to watch them you know what i mean with their posts it's yeah right yeah it's so bizarre it's, everyone uh, for every, has an audience yeah for for every one amazingly and we love our good audience thing there's <laughs> 10 equally shitty things that happen right yeah it's just, yeah, there's their wild, complicated, shitty truth. Yeah. So should we maybe swing back to something <laughs> a little lighter? Like with the album for a bit? Like, like what oh, I'm song? Sorry, we're talking about Amy Winehouse. Like how light is this going to get? Yeah. yeah. Well, we could take a, take a, a quick break. What's, <laughs> what's your favorite song on the album? Oh, um, that's a good question. We know Steven mentioned I'm No Good featuring Ghostface. Yeah. You know, I'm no good with. <laughs> Ghostface is really good and it's it makes no sense to me and it shouldn't work but it does and after, <laughs> after a album of we'll call it talented mediocrity for me it was just this bright it's just so much fun and I love it and I love that it exists because it's not something I ever would have thought I would see and I'm just happy I have now <laughs> but uh, I'll say off the album proper it's probably just friends Cause it's got like a, a bit of a like a reggae groove to it and i just oh i really dig the sound and it. it's just so well produced and i think instrumentally it stands out for me on the album honestly instrumentally this album's a fucking masterpiece like as much as i didn't really enjoy it i can't deny it's really really well made but yeah i just i really love the sound for just friends it wasn't even about the lyrics or how it fit into the album it was just like the way it grooved I love Just Friends. I especially love it live because there's more saxophone in it live. That like boom, 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 boom. It's so much more present in her live versions. It just grooves so cool. I had nothing written down for that song. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I can't even remember it. I have a hard time picking a favorite out of this. I do love You Know I'm No Good, but I also realize that it's the theme song to a smutty British TV show called Secret Diary of a Call Girl and they use kind of the riff from it and I immediately <laughs> picked that up. 
but the lines sniff me out like Tanqueray gets me every time. Yeah, that's so. fair. <laughs> Are we drinking Tanqueray tonight in, in celebration or not? Yeah, we should have. I was drinking uh, Tanqueray last night. <laughs> so I was drinking Tanqueray when I watched it. Hey. Oh. Uh, bless. Also, that song was featured in Mad Men in the first season, apparently, which makes perfect sense to me because I, I loved... Mad Men and that sound and I can it's my world's colliding a little bit. Uh, I really need to get Mad Men. If we were if we had another podcast, it would have to be Stephen and I talked about t- doing like a Top Gear rewatch. I think. Oh <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just noticed pulling her up on Spotify. Did you guys notice that they've released her singing "I Saw Mummy Kissing Santa Claus" live at Union Chapel? Oh, I was yeah, I was gonna, I was going to ask if you had seen that at the end because it popped up when I was loading the album. And I didn't know if it was uh, I, a new release or just like a. It's a live version. I'm gonna. I think it must. I was going through some of her set lists, and I think. Let me pull it up. What year is it from? Live at Union Chapel. It says. Yeah. Amy Winehouse at Union Chapel, London, England, November twenty fourth, two thousand six. Uh. It's not part of the set list. <laughs> oh, perfect. That's the only one. That's the only result. I will say. Just so I don't forget, because <laughs> I didn't actually write any notes for these songs. I do really like Love is a Losing Game. I think it's a gorgeous soul track. Me too. Agreed. Just, yeah, it's such a powerhouse of skill. And yeah, holy shit. <laughs> I remember what I was going to say. It was weird to see that contrast between her kind of coming across as a very childlike adult, but then like nailing out those lyrics. Yeah, this like beautiful old soulful yeah it kind of was hard for me to marry the two you know her looking bored in interviews and being drunk all the time and then you know these well-crafted songs that she wrote it's yeah it was interesting to see the two sides of that yeah and like love is a losing game that performance that they show in the documentary the live live at the mercury music awards it's just such like a perfect performance yeah. yeah. And then she gets off stage, falls into the arms of Blake and looks like a mess again. And it's just Yeah. You know, she kinda like walks off kind of leaning on him and like yeah. he's kind of almost dragging her out of the room practically. And it's just like you know, that yeah, the the juxtaposition of who she was as an artist and her strength on stage and her strength of presence when writing and her, you know, ability to look within herself and express her emotions in a really artistic way that could touch millions of people. And then to see her so incapable of living her personal life in a way to feel comfortable that she was basically you know wasting away to nothing emotionally and physically and to the point where you know she she accidentally killed herself with alcohol it's just it's just such a weird weird you know you're right it's such a weird juxtaposition you so you said that so much better than me i'm just gonna define <laughs> language what i'm thinking and you just make it better i'm like oh juxtaposition that's a good word that's what i meant <laughs> Um, what I loved also playing into this was her performance for the Grammys. And right before they announced that she's won, she's making fun of Justin Timberlake's <laughs> album title. She's like, what's it called? What goes around comes around. And then they like pander her and she wins. And so she's being sharp and she's being funny. And then she just is blown away that yeah. she wins and can't handle the situation at all. But I thought that was so funny. She's like, what's it called? That's yeah. stupid. You know? yeah. The album's called What Goes Around Comes Around. <laughs> and, she's, 
and she's pointing at her dad like she's looked to it's Tony Bennett like it's sort of an interesting way to see her sort of in awe of this man and then her try and behave like a human being in front of him sort of an hour later in the movie you know and it's just she never she never reconciled that for herself that she was as like he wouldn't be there if he didn't think that she deserved to be he had no yeah. interest in working like at that point in his in his career tony bennett had absolutely no need to re- record or do anything he was just doing it because he loved music and he wanted to work with her because he loved her and she's just there like feeling so unsure of herself and you know to the point yeah like he's like comforting her yeah. and you, then you start feeling bad for him it's weird it's, it's weird to watch a social interaction with someone it's like we're watching this movie about her and she's sort of the star of it. And we spent, you know, at that point, two hours connecting with her, watching her go through, you know, a difficult childhood, really strong highs during Frank. And then, you know, all of the ups and downs that are sort of like this is supposed to be like a, a good moment of her kind of coming on the other side of her relationship with Blake and trying to put her life kind of back together, get her career back together. And she's still so important in her musical life that she can record with someone like Tony Bennett and she just cannot get out of her own way about it. Yeah. To the point where you now, him being like a walk-on character in this movie almost, you're now feeling bad for him because he's got to spend time with our star. But it's like, it's just, uh, it's just such a weird, it's just such a weird moment. She just couldn't get out of her own way. Yeah, it was a little bit hard to watch. I mean, just in general, it's a hard documentary to watch. Just, it's a heartbreakingly thorough experience. And it's, ugh. (laughs) It's sort of the first documentary I ever saw that seemed to be in like, post cell phone world where there's all these moments of her filmed because it was sort of the beginning of everybody having a video camera in their pocket all the time where when you watch a lot of documentaries about older artists you're seeing maybe like some eight millimeter camera footage or somebody had to pull out a video camera specifically then they had to record and they had to get it developed and then it was like it was a lot there's a lot less personal footage where hers came out and then there was like a Heath Ledger one which was him basically like filming himself constantly there's a Shannon Hoon one from Blind Melon that came out which was the same it was like these documentaries of these musicians and um, at least the ones that I saw I'm sure there's ones about other artists and stuff but the ones I saw were musicians where all of a sudden it was a world where much like now we all have a video camera in our pocket and so much more of our lives are filmed and recorded and it's sort of interesting that hers was the first I saw that was sort of the first music documentary where intimate footage of of the artist was so easily accessible because everybody had a camera yeah I was surprised at how much of the like young big moments for her were videotaped. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Who I even now we with all of us having 18 cameras in the car, I would never think of pulling out and taping anything or recording it. I just thought that was really interesting that someone did that. Yeah. Maybe it's just a personality thing. There's I'm someone in my life that takes a lot of photos and I take videos and stuff, but it's usually me trying to document things like Christmas or birthdays. I don't tend to make a lot of videos of us just driving somewhere. I've done it occasionally, but it's usually because like we're on vacation or something. Like they were just right. like in the car on tour. She was asleep and they're filming her. So it was just, I don't know. It was interesting. It was it was sort of fortunate to have that kind of footage of her, I think. For sure. I thought the same thing. I think part of that too is just kind of, especially with like touring musical artists, right? A lot of that's the fame. And I know... I doubt it was the case for like her crew, but there are times where part of their touring contract is to record the like behind the scenes footage because it it gives the, whatever company essentially paid for sponsored the tour, it gives them licensing rights to that footage years down the road, usually after you've, you've passed. 
And yeah, I think it was because it was so close to kind of the start of everybody being able to record whenever they wanted. Amy Winehouse and like most of her crew, like it was this sudden ability to see the world and go everywhere and do it kind of like everything. And obviously it doesn't go great. I think part of it is just excitement to be like, oh, we're never going to experience this again because we're either going to move on to something else or, you know, this could all end at something like this could all end tomorrow. Mm -hmm. so we were kind of riding this high of documenting this once in a lifetime experience really or I don't know, it's like it's such a weird time technologically that like as commonplace as they feel now they weren't then not yeah. the ability to record for long periods of time and have usable footage yeah that's true like i remember having a shitty little like flip phone camera that could record like five second little clips and it was just grainy garbage <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've gone back and watched some of my old cell phone camera footage and it's just woof yeah right. <laughs> <laughs> from it would have been around the same time like i've got some old cell phone camera footage from like 2005 of liam when he was a baby taking like his first steps and stuff and it's just horrible to try and look at <laughs> so they may have not i may be wrong they may have not been using a cell phone they may have had like a handy cam or something but it's just it's interesting and they're all so young like in her manager was yeah, right? like you know she was what like 19 20 years old on the frank tour her manager was like this, like they were all just a bunch of kids. Yeah, it was incredible. A bunch of kids on this great, big, amazing adventure that come on, right? everybody thinks about it at some point, but nobody thinks it's going to happen to them. And then it does. Yeah, and like, it's really cool to see that initial, holy shit, like this is, this is really happening. Yeah. It was like, there was no adults in the room. Like even the Beatles had a manager who was in his thirties when they were in their twenties. Like there was no adults in the room with her. Like, yeah, it was incredible. I don't know. It's, it's really, I don't know. I, I, I feel Blessed isn't a word I use a lot, but I feel so blessed that we as, a, as music fans of hers have that. I think it's a shame that her family wouldn't endorse it because they felt like it portrayed Mitch as a negative character. And um, I think one of the most interesting things of that interview I saw Blake do recently was that he said, you know, I'm the only one that's ever come out and admitted to blame in this whole thing. Right. He's as For all of her, as shitty as he was, he's at least enough of a human being to stand up and be like, yeah, I've, I did I played right a part. Yeah. I 100% played a giant part in this, and I didn't do right by her, and a big part of this is my fault. And he's like, I'm the only one of all the people that were around her that has stood up and said, I played a part in her downfall. Because, you know, when you watch Mitch interviewed, he's like, no, we were there all the time, her family, and if you think that we didn't try and help her, then you're wrong, and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, it doesn't really, then why don't you own that? I don't know. I mean, I've never lost a child, and I hope I never do, but it, it, it seems... Maybe he's just incapable of that kind of self-reflection. I don't know. Yeah, it's true. I'm assuming Mitch is the dad. I didn't realize. Mitch is, yeah, him. Mitch, Mitch Winehouse. With Amy Winehouse's dad. Yeah, and maybe it's one of those things where he had to figure it out for himself and maybe was trying to distance himself from the press at this point and just let it go. But yeah, I do, I do hope that he comes to terms with the part he played. But at what point do you have to keep telling the press about it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to have this sort of heavy conversation with her album sort of on in my headphones. Because <laughs> it feels so good to like listen to her music, but it's so sad. But Back to Black is playing and it's my favorite song <laughs> off the album. And I just, I'll never get sick of Back to Black, so I feel good about that. It's a great song. Yeah, it is such a bummer to have these two albums and then... I have nothing else. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? There were so many places she could have gone and so many things she could have done. 
and she was just kind of scratching the surface for that. Yeah, and they say that she was like so close to kind of coming out the other side, where she was starting to see like her own value a little bit, and she was starting to realize that like there was life after death, and you know, in certain in that sense of like she'd moved on from her divorce with Blake. It had been a few years since that had happened. She was seeing someone else. Apparently, they there was talk. I've read stuff that like they were trying to maybe have a baby, or that she was talking about wanting to do that and become a mom and sort of change her life around and take it in a really different, more structured. Mm-hmm manner or a structured path but she didn't make it out of the almost being aware of it phase and she just accidentally drank too much one night she needed to get to her 30s yeah 20s are hard yeah (laughs) yeah sorry steven you're almost there (laughs) (laughs) oh my god real old see i win in the end it's fine (laughs) yes um i was reading that I think the day before she died, she had a meeting with her doctor and she point blank, the doctor asked her like, you are drinking, are you drinking again? And she said, yes. And she goes, are you going to stop? And she goes, I want to. And apparently she said, because I don't want to die. And then I think it was the next day she died. Yeah. It's it's one thing to, to want to stop drinking. It's entirely different thing to be able to do it when you're that hooked. Yeah. Yeah. I've, been fortunate enough in my life where the thing that I've become the most addicted to is sugar, which is admittedly not ideal, but it's not quite as poisonous as something like alcohol. Yeah. And seriously mixed with bulimia, you know, if you, it takes such a toll on your body if you're not giving it any nutrients to, to fight back. Do you know what I mean? I think at some point, I mean, yes, she definitely died of alcohol poisoning. It was an alcoholic, but she wasn't she didn't give herself a fighting chance with a body that was so broken from other things as well oh you're absolutely right i don't know if you know much about karen carpenter from the carpenters but she died most people say that she died of anorexia but she actually died as a result of gaining too much weight after like once she started treatment because anorexia and Um, bulimia I suspect as well it puts so much stress on your heart you can damage your heart muscle so much by being that undernourished and stuff and so when she gained weight back it put so much stress on her heart that she died of a heart attack oh my god and I think I'm not sure if Amy Winehouse was a similar story I'm not sure if it was like heart failure that ultimately got her I don't know it's just it's too bad it it yeah, had she not had the bulimia, she'd probably still be here. She probably could have survived through the alcohol because her body wouldn't have been as damaged from everything else. Yeah, that's how I felt because there were other diagnoses before, diagnoses before that I had read about, like weird lung diseases or infections or something. Or she had um, beginning stages or her lungs were starting to show signs of emphysema. I mean, imagine at 27 or 26 or whatever. That's crazy. Yeah. It's a lot of that, I think, um, from what I read, was probably the result. Because not not just her cigarette smoking, but of all of her crack smoking. Crack it's just sure. so, so hot when you inhale it. I mean, I've never done it, so I can't speak to it. But from what I understand, it's it's very, very, very hot when you inhale crack and just burns the shit out of your lungs. <laughs> Steven, you ever done crack? What <laughs> <laughs> your crack experiences? Um, I believe it was Whitney Houston who famously said crack is crack. Crack is whack. Crack is cheap. I make way too much money to smoke crack. Yeah, I just listened to a podcast on her too. Yeah, that's that was tough. <laughs> I'm too rich for that. Too rich for crack. Well, I don't know if it's really appropriate to do like a songbird and stuff. We haven't really spent a whole lot of time talking about 
the album. We've mostly just been talking about sort of who she was as an artist and our takeaways, mostly from watching the documentary. But I know for me, this is definitely an album that I'll continue to listen to, but probably largely in live performance. Whereas Frank, I definitely love the studio versions. Mm. I definitely need to listen to more of Frank. I have listened to it, but uh, this album to me, I have definitely overplayed it in my life. <laughs> so I don't, it's one of those things I have to put away, put on the shelf for a couple years and then bring it back out and enjoy it uh, on the Spotify shelf. But I definitely enjoyed listening to Frank when you did that podcast, but I don't know the songs enough. So I'm going to look forward to um, listening to that more and some of the other work that I missed from her along the way. Cool. Steven, I gather this is not going to be a multiple listen for you? No, no, I won't be re-listening to the album. I'll listen to the tracks I like. I will, though, for sure be looking, like, I'm going to go through and listen to her singles and, like, this new Mommy Kissing Santa Claus track. It's not that I dislike her as an artist. I just didn't like this particular work of art. Like, I'm sure there's going to be stuff out there that she's done live or otherwise that floors me. So I'm going to go look for it. Okay. Did you guys watch, I know I suggested to both of you to check out Glastonbury 2007 versus 2008. Did either of you have time to watch any of her live stuff? I forgot. Yeah, I forgot too, sorry. <laughs> I was so impressed with hey, getting the doc on a DVD that I was, my work here is done. That was, that was legit impressive. Like, I couldn't believe hats it. Hats off to you. We, I think, I think the takeaway, you know, as as one of our listeners, when Angie texted us the photo of her possessing this disc, it started us trying to figure out if there was even a place where we could rent movies in Edmonton anymore, and it seems like the only place is like a horror movie house. Like, <laughs> I feel like this is the last one in Ottawa for sure. It very well could be. I mean, there could be stuff in Edmonton that's just not listed on Google Maps, but literally the only one I found was that horror movie. Yeah rental house and then stuff in in chinatown which i suspect is all just asian imports well is there anything else we need to discuss with amy winehouse or should we call this an episode and talk about what we're going to listen to next week um i did just find an article that says amy winehouse's brother said that it was the bulimia that killed her not the drugs but that's obviously an opinion yeah it was a it was probably a cocktail of everything yeah yeah i yeah i like i don't know i think my opinion very much is that had she continued to drink as she had been at her you know at her heaviest intake it probably would have got her with alcohol poisoning because she was such a small person and mm-hmm. there's only so much you can do to your body but who knows if she would have you know if she just kept drinking but not to the excess where she'd die of alcohol poisoning like she might have gotten cirrhosis of the liver or like yeah. who knows what other problems she had but yes i i completely would agree with him that her bulimia just weakened her body to the point that she can no longer fight off the effects of you know poisoning it with alcohol to the extent that she was it's very sad but definitely worth listening to i think it's you know this is sort of my closing thoughts i guess on the episode yeah and i'll i'll let you guys jump in as well it's just i think it's so easy to get bogged down in the paparazzi and the public image of you know the mess that Amy Winehouse became in sort of 2008 where there's all those photos of her bloody walking down the street having obviously been in some kind of physical altercation with her husband and stuff like there's just so much of that out there and but really the story that she should be remembered for is how great she was as a musician and an artist and a songwriter and I think it's easy to dismiss people who have 
a public image where they seem like kind of a mess and just kind of discredit all of their work as a result of that. And I would encourage anyone listening to not do that, to, to definitely listen to both of her albums, even just once. I would probably think that there's at least one song you're going to come away from that listening experience and, and continue to listen to. There's just, there's just a lot there, even though it's only two albums, there's, there's a lot there in terms of artistic merit. She was so unique. I feel like she did something that no one else had ever done or attempted to do. And I, I always look for that when I'm looking for new music or, or what have you. And I think what she had was just very special and very unique and absolutely worth checking out. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't say anything to add to what you two have said, but I agree. Go, go listen. It's incredible. It's truly a work of art. Um, all of her stuff kind of is, even if, even if it's not the kind of music you're going to listen to again, it's still incredible to hear it once. Yeah, I completely agree. And the, the documentary it's on Amazon prime, definitely worth watching. Even if you have no interest in her as an artist, but you like watching music documentaries, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a fantastically made documentary. And I would say, look that up as well. I think the more the more she's remembered for her artistic creativity and her contributions to the world musically, I think the better. Rest in peace, Amy. Rest in peace, Amy Winehouse. Absolutely. So, Stephen, I think it's your it's your turn again. Yeah, man, it feels like crazy disingenuous to just drop another artist right now. <laughs> I know. I was like, this is such a weird time. It's such a downer. I hope you give us something crazy. like Something really super upbeat. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since we did essentially like an indie artist. And there's one that popped up on Spotify for me. I've been listening to him for about yeah, pretty close to a year now. And I just, I really love his sound. It's really fun, upbeat music with very like intimate personal lyrics, which is just, oh, it's a soft spot for me. And I think he does a lot of fun things because it's it's like him and one of his friends do all of the work for it. Like it's cool. truly independent. Um, so it's Bug Hunter on Spotify is the artist name. And the album we're listening to is The Rough Draft. Cool. Yeah, I don't know anything about this. Yeah, I just thought... Also, just to, FYI, um, Alt-J was indie. And I know you were really pumped about it. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know, I was very pumped for all j being an indie band and it's a really awesome sound i just oh please release another album <laughs> that's not we have three yeah i didn't really find one I didn't... oh did you listen to all of them oh, i think i only listened to one other one but i know it seemed really similar to the first one from what i remember <laughs> the first two are kind of similar and then the third one that we listened to was a little bit like more more polished as an album i guess yeah, that's fair. It is really, it is a very polished album. Like, it's really incredible work. It just, I don't like, man, House the Rising Sun. It's just such a, <laughs> oh my god, it's such a long start. And I, <laughs> yeah, I that was that exactly what Angie said. <laughs> I said if you're gonna take that long to get a sentence out, like I'm taking a nap. But anyways, yeah, okay. Like, it's, stay tuned. <laughs> it's a gorgeous song, but fuck that opening. So yeah, 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 yeah. Like order a pizza and see, see the song starts before the pizza arrives. Well, I'm just I'm we we both missed you a lot, so I'm sure it won't be the first episode that one or the other of us misses moving forward. But uh, 
please know that we we referenced how much we missed your contributions last week. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. So definitely glad you're back, and uh, we'll get listening to your suggestion, and we'll move forward and figure out how we're going to finish off 2020. All right. Did we do it? Yeah, we did it. We did it. We talked about Amy Winehouse for two episodes. (laughs) Whenever this episode lands, hopefully it's on time, but uh, we'll get working on it and hopefully you guys enjoy it and we'll catch you next time. Thanks very much for listening. See you. Thanks for listening to Life to Labyrinth podcast. Theme music by Devin Rose. Find Devin on Bandcamp or any streaming service. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Life Number Two Labyrinth. <laughs>